From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up for October 27th, 2023. Danny Fleck alongside. Hello, Danny. Hey, man. How's it going? I am well. For the 28th consecutive week, I have to open with the Michigan sign stealing situation. Uh, no, in all seriousness, as a player, and you played high school lacrosse, you still play flag. Yes, it's nothing like college football. But at some point, if I'm a Michigan player that had nothing to do with any of this sign ceiling stuff, I'd have to be rather aggravated that this is looming over everything in what could be a championship winning season finally for Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, it's it's starting to become more of an intricate, intricate web of deceit, I think, than it was compared to last week. More and more information either is coming to light based off of, you know, digging or people coming forward. It's starting to look like this was more than just a, a rogue actor. It was more convoluted and organized, perhaps, than maybe we were led on to believe. Um, despite their inability to cover it up, it, it does seem as if there was some more going on with what it is that they were doing uh, than we originally anticipated. Now, at the end of the day, I want to emphasize again what I said last week. I don't find this to be something that is unique in any type of sport. Right. I think it's something that just happens. You have the opportunity uh, to find competitive advantages, and you don't, or you do. You know, it's one or the other. And and Michigan, someone at Michigan, <laughs> you know, took it upon themselves to go around and scout and use intricate ways of finding uh, a, a way to decipher hand signals. Now, I think a lot of this you know, goes back to what we said last week is find ways to prevent this, right? Um, communication in the helmets should be something that should be available for all teams. And I was listening further on this situation, and one of the reasons why that's not the case is that some schools don't have the opportunity to afford potential communication right. systems, um, and it would put them at a disadvantage compared to teams that did, which... My rebuttal would be to the NCAA is pony up. Right? Yeah, you have the money yeah. somewhere. Make it a level playing field in that in that sense. Um, but what we're seeing with Michigan is that they are they were attacking programs that had those resources, right? I don't think they're sign stealing Bowling Green schemes in the MAC. <laughs> um, so again, I. I I, I'm hard-pressed to really come down and say that this is something that is so outrageous that we need to really look at the integrity of the game. It's just one of those situations where I think maybe they took it a step too far, um, and now they're starting to see what comes with that. And what will come with that, I don't know. I don't know how the NCAA really plans on finding out who the creator of this mastermind is. Um, but at the end of the day, usually the buck stops with the head coach. And I'm sure Harbaugh might see some things that come that comes from this. But I don't know. <laughs> it's just so difficult for me to sit here and say that they're, they're right, like they're flat out cheating because 
there could be situations where you could pick up on a lot of the things that are going on, even without doing this type of advanced scouting. But again, like, I still think there's more to this that we're going to find out. And when we do, you know, I think I reserve the right to change my mind on how I view it. But for right now, I still am trying to find like where the big deal is in all of this. Yeah, it's, um, you know, TCU won that semifinal. <laughs> you know, Michigan did not get to the, this is not like a 19 and 0 team that just ran through everybody, you know, 42 to nothing. Um, some of these things failed. And having that, um, you know, having that balance out here is going to be very interesting because if, Harbaugh knows, or if he doesn't know, that it hasn't proven itself. Maybe it has in conference, but it hasn't proven itself to matter when it has to have happened, which is them to finally win a national championship, which is all these guys want. All the Michiganers yeah. want that national title under Harbaugh. It has not happened. Yeah, and I think what's the damning part in all of this is that the, there's reports that he was sitting next to a defensive coordinator in a game yeah. and obviously that's where it gets a little fishy um, but I do think at the end of the day the preciseness of like relaying a signal from the offense then relaying the signal from the defense is so, so tight right like, I don't know how much it, it could be interesting to find out like how often it actually succeeded in them forcing like a three and out or getting a turnover or limiting points right I think that's really where the nuance comes in but again it's just such a it's very ticky tacky to me but I'm not the one I'm not coaching a team I'm not rooting you know for those teams in those situations so I, I look at it from a lot of, you know, the perspective of just a, a neutral observer. And I, you know, I would say that a majority of the games a team, a team loses is either because they have a lack of talent or they're, poor, or they're poorly coached. Yeah, or they're poorly coached, yeah. So, you know, Michigan lost that game against TCU, not because they had less talent, because they were poorly coached in certain situations, right? They had two pick sixes. They're inside the five and called terrible plays a couple of times. That didn't that didn't result in touchdown. I think they had a fumble inside the five. And that those are coaching situations. So even with the signals, they they lost right because they weren't coached properly. So I, I think there's a lot more that goes into it. But then again, you know, I think the way our society reacts to things is you know we look for anything that can discredit success or you know winning and tear it down. And let them build it back up, right? And then we'll tear it back down again when it gets to that point. So yeah. I think that's just the way we. That's, I think that's just the way we work. What's really interesting too about that, Danny, is is I don't know if you can suspend anybody in season that would make a difference in season. This this really seems to me like something that goes into that thing where, like, five years down the line, you get you know the penalty and you're vacating stuff, and it's like, what the hell are we doing now? Vacating? It just seems so really weird. They would have to do something quick, but I don't know who you penalize here. This is a very odd situation. Um, as for the games that are being played on the field uh, 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 tomorrow, the headliner 
is Oregon Utah, which Oregon basically just needs to keep winning football games uh, if they want any shot at the Big 12 title and ultimately getting back into the hunt for the playoff hopes. We keep talking about how these games will take care of themselves eventually. This is the next one on that list. What kind of a foe does Utah uh, give them? This game is really hard for me to handicap for many for a couple of different reasons. One is Oregon has had trouble with Utah in the past. Granted, those were different Utah teams. They, they still have had trouble with them. Even last year in Austin, they only won 20-17. Playing in Rice-Eccles Stadium is really difficult for any team, um, even if you're a team like Oregon. And Utah is just one of those teams that they are just a pain in the ass. I, I don't know what it is about that team. Just when you think you have them figured out and understand their style, they come out and play a completely different way. They smack you in the mouth. They aren't afraid of the moments or situations. They're extremely well coached and they are just a solid football team. Um, you know, they remind me a lot of, say, like the Ravens, you know, before mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson got there. Just a tough, tough team. They're never really out of it. They, play within their system, they understand who they are, and they take advantage of what works well for them. Now, in this game, there's a lot of talent gaps, I think. You know, Oregon has a great offensive line, they don't turn the ball over, uh, they're explosive, and they have a solid defense, whereas Utah, you know, take away what we saw last week against USC, uh, because USC stinks, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Utah has struggled at times this year to get things moving. Um, but I do expect with the opportunity to say, you know, Cam Rising is not coming back this year, they can commit to what they have offensively and grow from there. I think the spread is six and a half. I expect a close game. I, I just can't count out Utah in any, in any type of scenario. They keep proving me wrong. I think I have a read on them. They completely flip the switch on that. And playing at home is just really difficult for, for me to see Oregon going in there and, and covering that spread. I, I just think Utah's going to find a way to money this game up, make things difficult, slow it down, and really force Oregon to be perfect, which I think is what their game plan is going to be. The fair thing about Utah, and I don't know if this is a, a coaching thing or if this is a, an environment thing, I feel like over the last couple of years, they've gotten more opportunities. They've been in the Rose Bowl a couple of times. You've kind of got to, like, if you look at Penn State and Ohio State, and Michigan, and Florida, and Georgia, like, you've got you've got football institutions and, and the fans down there. I feel like this has become a hostile environment to play, and that was not on fans' list about, like, two, three years ago. Now it is. That changes everything. Yeah, they. I think Rice-Eccles has always been a tough place to play. We just haven't really seen it for whatever reason until like recently um but utah is an impeccable record there especially at night thankfully this game is at 3 30 so it's going to be coming at a much earlier time but every time they you know they seem to be out or not be able to be there you know they are there they're back-to-back pac-12 champions um and they take down these teams that we all can sit here and say are better than them from top to bottom from a talent perspective, but they just somehow figure out a way to do it. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do it again on Saturday. 
I, I do think Oregon is the better team, but sometimes it's not about that in college. Sometimes it's about the situation, um, the moment. You know, Oregon would love to have this game at home. Uh, I'm sure of that. So going on the road, we'll see what they're able to do. I, I do think Oregon pulls it out, but I don't think it's going to be as precise of a game that Oregon might be thinking it can be. I think it's going to be a really ugly game, and I think, again, Utah's going to try to, try to make them be perfect, um, and if they're not, they're going to take advantage of those situations. Florida-Georgia. These two teams don't like each other. They don't like playing each other. They don't like much about each other. Uh, this game is in Florida. Florida's 5-2. and two. Georgia's number one team in the country, though some don't think this is quite the uh, strong Georgia teams as we've had in the past. Is this one of those games where the rivalry carries you through, even even if you're not the most talented team? Yeah, I think the thing with Florida in this game is, you know, are they able to generate any type of explosive plays? I, I don't know if that's going to be possible. I don't think they have the skill set um, on that team to do that. Uh, Oregon is going to, I mean, Oregon, Georgia is going to look to just kind of keep this game in front of them. They're Florida to take shots and see if they can hit on them. On the defensive side of the ball, Florida... I think we'll just get worn out at a certain point in time. I, I, I know that you know, Georgia's without Bowers, but Carson Beck's been playing really well for them. They still have good wide receivers. Um, you know, their running back position hasn't really produced this year, but overall the talent level that Georgia's trotting out there, even uh, down here, is going to be either the best or on par with the top teams in the country. And Florida's not a top team in the country, so... I do expect Georgia to be able to take this game. It might be a slow start for both teams, and then you know you're questioning what Georgia's doing. But at the end of the day, Georgia's just too skilled, and I just don't know how Florida can keep up with them for 60 minutes. What's what's your favorite college rivalry? Just random question. What is your favorite college football rivalry? Oh man, I mean Ohio State Michigan. You can't go wrong with that, especially lately when that game has really meant a lot. It's really tough to top that type of game, especially when those teams are ranked in the top five and fighting for the Big Ten and now playoff spot. That's definitely up there. Um, you know, from an environment standpoint, too, the big house. I think it's about the day, too, right? The day after the, the weekend of Thanksgiving, it's cold, it's nasty. Um, those games are really fun to, to watch when both teams are really humming. Um I know it's not a rivalry, rivalry played every single year, but when Georgia and Alabama play, those games are really good. Uh, you know, those games have been really solid the last couple of years. Um, what else do we have out there? I mean, the Red Rock, the Red River Shootout is always a good game. Can't go wrong with that one. Uh, I don't know. There's so many of them. Iron Bowl. Iron Bowl. It depends because Auburn hasn't really been good consistently enough they play hard in those games but I just think it's always such a one-sided affair except for very random years where Auburn looks to be good um yeah that they are like this year they're not good so I don't know if that's going to be anything that's you know going to be a good game or not but yeah I think I think there's just so many games that that, that pop up you know even something like the Big Ten ones you know Wisconsin Minnesota 
ugly, like ugly football. Like, that's a good one. And I'm a fan of ugly football, so you know that game is always a good game to watch. But there's just so many good ones. So hopefully, we're able to keep them as we continue to go through this realignment phase. But I, I think Ohio State Michigan has to be the top of the list just because of the stakes that are usually involved with that game. As realignment continues with Army's move now to move into the AAC as a football-only member. Uh, but Army-Navy will be played as, not an, as a non-conference game. Chew over that one over your football weekend. Um, does anything else in the college football slate uh, uh, strike you? Not really this week. I'm, nothing's really jumping out at the page this week. I think it's one of those weeks where we are now kind of getting a buffer before we head into November. I know the next couple of weeks we have some really big matchups that are going to be taking place, especially on uh, the week of November 12th. You know, we have some big games then. So I think we're getting a little bit of a palate cleanser this next couple of weeks just to kind of, you know, reset before we really head into the home stretch here. Uh, but this week there's not too much that really jumps out at the page to me. I mean, obviously, whenever we say that, we get kind of weeks like last week where games are a lot closer. Things are a lot tighter than we expect, but this week I think is one of those weeks where if we don't see chalk, I'd be surprised, but again, college, you just never know. You indeed never know. Um, So now we move to the NFL, and it was announced today that Daniel Jones will miss yet another game. Now, you think this could be a prolonged absence for him, correct? Yeah, I said that from the beginning. I just didn't like the way they were reporting on it. And I, I listened back to some of our previous podcasts, and a lot of what I say still rings true. I don't like the way this team has managed their injuries this year. You know, Jones is missing his third week. No end in sight for him potentially coming back. Why not just put him on the IR? Eliminate part of the distraction that it's also creating. You know, I'm sick and tired of hearing them ask when you know he's going to be coming back. They don't know. It would be better if he's on the IR. That way it would be four weeks of him just on the shelf. Unfortunately, they haven't done that. I don't... I said it when he got hurt, that he could potentially be out the rest of the year. I, I'm starting to get that sense. Or, or part of it may be that they are going into this saying, how valuable is the season? Right? Is the season going to be something that we need to save, or is the season what it is? Do their minds change potentially when they see that Andrew Thomas goes out there, their line holds up for a game, and they can put Daniel Jones in better situations, and they have an opportunity here to, to string together some wins? Maybe. But I think a lot of it, too, maybe coming down to, you know, hey, we are just not where we need to be. We can keep fighting. We can pull off some wins here and there. But if we continue to throw him out there, he's just going to get more hurt or be put in a worse situation. So why bother when we still have $40 million next year invested to him? So I think I think that may be some of the perspective they're taking. Uh, again, all speculation on my part, just with the way that this has been going. But if he's not out there next week, it's going to be really frustrating that they didn't put him on IR. Or if they put him on IR next week, then you know it was he was never coming back. Right. Flip side of that is just now have to get ready for Tyrod Taylor. They faced him before. Um, and they'll have most of the defensive pieces back, which is good. Um, and you, though, don't 
you've had a vibe thing about this game. For me, <coughs> sorry, for me, with the Jets, it's about execution. And coming off of a bye, you can have lackluster execution. But what about the vibes has told you that this is not going to be a good day for the Jets? It's not going to be a good day for them. I think the one thing the Jets did was rally the troops, right? Yep, they had to. And now they've come off of two wins, and they're riding high, feeling the expectations of potentially making a run here. Their schedule is getting a little bit easier. Part of me wonders, is this team built to sustain that type of trajectory, right? They had it last year and they crumbled. Salah, to me, still uh, isn't that type of coach. He hasn't coached this team yet in that type of situation, and we saw him try to salvage the season last year and was unable to do so. You still have question marks at quarterback. Is the makeup of the team enough to overcome some of the positivity that comes with winning games in the National Football League? I don't know if that's the case. We'll find out on Sunday, but overall I do think that this Jets team is has a persona that works best, unfortunately, when they are up against the wall. And right now that's not the situation for them. Right now they're a favorite. They're going into this game as a favorite. They haven't been a favorite, I think, at all this year, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe in Denver they were a favorite. Um, But they are now expected to win, and I wonder if they're ready for that. Interesting point. I did not realize that we were favorites this week. Uh, Three-point favorites, yeah. It's... um it's interesting. It's very. It's it's a weird situation because Zach Wilson is one series away, one one stretch away from playing some just atrociously bad football, and then other stretches where he's fine and dandy. Um, so you know, it's like I don't quite know what to think. I don't quite know um, how to go into any of this. Um, other than trust the defense, trust Brees Hall, and don't turn the ball over and take as much points off turnovers as we can. You brought up the stat yesterday about how much and and how effective we've been off of turnovers this year. Um, My hope is that that continues. Um, But it is a... I, I, I see what you're saying where the just just that little bit of uncertainty. They don't have the chip anymore. You kind of come out flat, and you're down ten nothing after one. You know, kind of deal. I can definitely see that. Yeah, and it's one of those games where everything's in front of one team, and the other team has a tougher path. And those are the games you always got to be scary. Are always scary when you're a fan of the team that's considered the front runner. I always hated those games where the Giants were going into it where they expected to win and they just came out and just did not do that. And I think this is one of those games where the Jets fans expect to win. Whereas all the other games this year, you probably went into it thinking if we can just 
see some progression. If we can just see some positivity, then, you know, we'll take that as a win. But now the Jets are in a spot where they have the better team, in my opinion, and they should be able to beat the Giants. But those are the games that usually come up and bite you. So that's just where I'm coming from with that side. You know, we see it every week in football. It's, it, it doesn't, I mean, look at Minnesota last week. You know, they shredded the 49ers. No one thought that they would be able to do that. And they did it. And look at your Jets against the Eagles. No one thought the Jets would be in that game. And they were probably the better team for the whole game. Yeah. Those are the games that scare me as a fan. Because you know that even though you're supposed to win that game, your margin for victory in those games is still small because you're just not at a spot yet where you can handle some of the negativity that might come with the game. So I, I just, I think the Giants are one of those teams in this spot right now. They've got nothing left to lose. They're going to play that way until they absolutely can't anymore. And I don't think that there is as big of a gap between the teams as people think just because you have basically two backup quarterbacks playing in this game. And when that, when that happens, and, you know, chaos ensues. So, <laughs> you know, you could, be, you could have the better defense in this game and Zach Wilson turns it over three times inside the 30-yard, like inside his own 30-yard line. That could be, a, that. you know, a, a scenario, right? Yeah. And despite how good your defense is, you know, if they're consistently defending short fields, they're going to break every once in a while. You know, that's why these games are, are scary, too. If it was Aaron Rodgers, forget about it, right? This game is over before the Giants even step on the field. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Yeah, just not the case. Danny Fleckowitz is here on Teeing It Up. What else of the NFL slate uh, strikes your fancy? Yeah, so I, I actually really like the games on this week. I think there's a lot of interesting situations happening, especially with the trade deadline occurring on Tuesday. You know, Minnesota Green Bay... Minnesota, can they continue moving forward and hope for Justin Jefferson to come back and maybe make a run? You know, that could be a possibility. Atlanta, Tennessee, you know, we've kind of seen Tennessee take some action here that might signal what their future is the rest of this year. So does a loss mean that, you know, we see Derrick Henry shift out, Tannehill shift out, you know, are those situations that come up? Uh, New England at Miami. Does Miami continue just to beat up on bad teams, or has New England figured something out? I mean, I was very surprised by what New England did last week. Did not see that coming. Uh, but Miami's starting to build a reputation here of only being able to beat teams that are bad. So Miami needs to find a way to kind of, I think, right the ship and head into that magic with Kansas City in a couple of weeks and, and be able to compete with them. Uh, well, I mean, the most interesting game to me this weekend is San Francisco at Cincinnati. Uh, San Francisco is kind of reeling a bit here. They're still going to be out some players, throwing that parties in the concussion protocol. What does San Francisco look like with your, with your boy, Sam Darnold back there? And then Cincinnati, you know, coming off a of bye here. They've got some really tough matchups coming up here in the next couple of weeks. You know, San Francisco. Buffalo, Houston, which is now looking to be a much tougher matchup at the Ravens, and then the Steelers and Jaguars. That is a stretch. They've got to be able to, to kind of stamp 
their place here as a playoff contender and starts on Sunday for them. So a lot of uh, good games this weekend. And, you know, the one thing we've seen in the NFL this year is I think that there's definitely the good teams like San Francisco, Philadelphia, Kansas City. But the difference between a two and five team and a you know four and three team right now, I don't think is that much. So this week, this this week, I think is where the pendulum swings, and we start to see maybe the pathway for what teams are going to be contenders to make the playoffs, and which teams are going to be playing that spoiler role moving forward. Yeah, that dolphin that uh, Pat dolphin game completely confuses. I just don't know what to think of the Pats. I. I Bill, you think we'll have them ready, and you don't know. And also, look at the Cardinals for a second. I, don't, I forgot who they're playing. Let me just get this. They're 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 playing Baltimore. If Kyler Murray is ready, that completely changes the course of that game. So it's health, and it's who plays spoiler. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the wild card standings right now. Um, you know, Buffalo is five and three and sitting in the seventh spot. And behind them, you've got Houston, Jets, Cincy, all at three and three, right? Like, this is a week where those teams can maybe vie for some position. Then you look at the NFC, which is even more of a mess. Minnesota holds the seventh spot at three and four. And a team like, you know, the Giants, for example, if they win this week and Minnesota loses, then they flip-flop, right? (laughs) So... It's, it's just, it, there's a lot of season left, and that's why when people overreact after one game, it's just like, calm down. The NFL is a week-to-week season. Nothing happens the same, no, no two things happen two weeks in a row. So, there's still a lot here for these teams to fight for, but I do think there's going to be certain teams that look at the, the rest of the schedule and their roster and just say, you know what, it might make more sense for us to gain some assets here rather than take on water and let's you know make that move but I, I think this is the week that's going to happen because of the trade deadline on Tuesday you have to make moves now if you want to make them and figure out what you got if you got anything and I'll be very interested to see what Dalvin Cook's status is for Sunday if they just choose to rest him rest healthy rest scratch um, yeah, what does it matter they don't need him <laughs> they, they don't like I, we said it when Brees Hall started getting going. He's the guy, and he has to be the guy. No, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. I'm wondering, do they bring somebody off of the practice squad and rest Dalvin so that he can stay healthy for the trade deadline? I mean, even if, I mean, what are you going to get for Dalvin Cook? Maybe a seventh rounder. It's true. It's you're not getting much. Not this Dalvin Cook. Not this. Not the. Not uh, dynamic. <clears throat> it, it isn't doing much for you, Davin Cook. Uh, I'm completely with you there. He has been a flop in New York. <clears throat> so on that note, as always, Danny Flecka, thank you for joining us on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Thank you, my man. Have a good weekend. You got it. Enjoy the games, and thank you, everybody. Enjoy.